Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is another episode of the DNA Podcast. And this week, I've got a really fun guy on the other side, Robert Jordan. Um, uh, we met uh, a few weeks ago and we had a conversation uh, about uh, basically what it takes to be a leader, uh, what it takes to lead organizations. And we had actually a really nice click. As you guys know, within DNA, we, we work with executives, we place them, uh, we work with organizations in transformational change. And then I meet someone like Robert, like-minded, like-minded, similar type of company. Uh, but Bob, can you introduce yourself? Let's start with that. Thanks, Raheem. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, I run a company. I'm one of the uh, partners in a company called Interim Execs, which is a matchmaker around the world. Uh, organizations call up because they have a leadership need. And uh, we, we have a capability, a team which is all C-suite, CEOs, CFOs, CIOs around the world. We call it RED team. RED stands for Rapid Executive Deployment. Nice, nice. I was wondering where the RED stand for. Stand for. <laughs> Tried to keep it simple, and, and uh, that's it. And I know we're going to be talking uh, today about leadership style, and, and all of the research around leadership style came out of the um, what's happened for us over the past 10, 15 years, which is having been approached by about 7,000 executives from 50 countries. And that caused us to develop ranking and scoring and screening and these this discovery of these four leadership styles that I know we're gonna talk about. Cool. So I see something happening with my camera, but that's that's all fine. Um, so it's okay, I still see your smiling face. Hey, your picture. <laughs> we're back so we were talking last week um right leader right time uh you wrote a book and it's always great to have people in the, in the show who are reading books but the, the challenge always of what i have when, when i read those leadership books is it's a bit of a blah blah and all a bit of the same what did trigger me was that uh, in general we look at 13 14 15 leadership styles which are common leadership styles but you took a really different approach you actually look at behavior. Can you tell me a little bit more about, about, about the thinking and why you came up with those styles? So what we noticed was this pattern with thousands of executives approaching us. There, there was one really bad pattern and then there was one really good one. The bad one was that the majority of executives were having careers and leadership journeys that you or I would describe as okay, but not exceptional. And that wasn't great. But the flip side was that when you look at the top two, three, 4% of leaders who, who you could easily describe as exceptional, they exhibited one of four different styles of leadership. And by style, we were looking at their process, their approach, their system. And believe me, these people actually have that in place. They might not have intentionally set out to it, but they have that. And so we gave the four styles that we saw in evidence, we gave them labels, fixer, artist, builder, and strategist. So there was the one pattern which wasn't great. The other pattern, these four styles, FABS for short, what we call FABS leadership styles, 
And that was the impetus to start writing the book six years ago. Because we thought if there's a message to try to get out to the world, um, the important thing for, especially for people earlier on in their career journeys and, and to aspire to leadership is, do not try to be all things to all people. It sounds very obvious, but the majority of leaders throughout their careers screw it up. And that's exactly what they do. And if you point it out to them, for most of them, they're in denial. It's a little wow. delusional. They won't, they, they, they will not see it. But it's very clear when you look at the opposite case among exceptional leaders. Well, I think a few years ago, there was a whole hype around being an adaptive leader. Uh, and being adaptive is important because everyone in your team is different. Your organization can be different. The people can be different. The, 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 the roles, the focus areas are different. So th there needs to be, be a bit of adaptivity. But I think that adaptivity slash flexibility, those are two different things. Uh, and sometimes I see what you're just also mentioning. Um, leaders have a career. They grow from being operational to manager to leader. Hopefully they run a company. Some of them are CEO of a company, but they started in the company when they were young and blue. Nothing changes actually within those companies. They have that linear growth within the organization, but that new dynamic, what you need to actually grow and excel with the company is often lacking. I think that's the challenge we, we see in general within organizations, uh, and especially when we get a bit older, we seem to get a bit more stale. That's not with you, hopefully not with me, but in general, we see that happening. Hey, oh, listen, Raheem, you, you and I have only met over the past couple of weeks, but I can already tell uh, things about you. And for sure, people that know you and, and your listeners or your viewers who have any insight into you uh, absolutely can relate to what I am saying. You, you are a prime example of, of uh, two of these styles at work. Absolutely. Okay. You, you know what I'm talking about because you have these major client organizations that rely on you. And, and just hearing you describe what you do as a leader. Um, I, I don't know if you want me to give this away for the audience, that, that I see these styles, these, these fixing turnaround and these building styles in you in evidence. You can see it, you can see it. If somebody outside of you could easily see, oh, this is his wiring as a leader. Yeah. And, and part of what fascinated us when we started for the book, I mean, we'd already met thousands of, of executives, but for the book, we specifically interviewed a lot of leaders because we thought we had an idea of who fit into the mode of fixer, who fit into the mode of artist or builder or strategist, uh, is that people who are incredibly successful, our first question of them was, why this? What, what drew you to this? So to give you an example that I think a lot of people in the world may, may have heard of, uh, as you and I are recording this, we're in month three of the blow up of FTX, the crypto platform, right? And FTX headquartered in the Bahamas, uh, has it's now in bankruptcy court. The founder is in jail. Well, he's in, sorry, he's not in jail. He's, um, he's 
He's under house detention pending trial. Um, upwards of a million, there may be a million creditors here. Do you know how we call it in, the, in, in, in Europe? A judicial uh, holiday. A judicial holiday? <laughs> so so the, the court appointed uh, a, a leader for FTX named John Ray. John Ray, not surprisingly, prior to FTX, had been one of the fixers who handled the dissolution of Enron. And for folks that remember Enron, this is going back 15, 20 years at the time, that was the greatest debacle that people had seen. It was a huge entity, 4,000 off-balance sheet entities that they had. It was a complete mess. And so there's this pattern you can see in John Ray's career, which is that he needs to run into the burning building. He is the definition of what we would call a fixer leader. And that's a very particular kind of wiring different from these others. So I can imagine how we how we identify the, the four styles. But if you, for instance, you are a young entrepreneur or a young leader and you, you're thinking about your future, how do you identify your, your way forward? If you use these four styles, if you think about a fixer, artist, a builder, or strategist. How do you take that early on in your career? Uh, like you mentioned in the beginning, a lot of them have a nice career, but not an exceptional one. How can a young leader um, or a young entrepreneur start building the dynamics to be exceptional onwards? Well, it's a great question. And, and you know, life, hindsight is twenty twenty. And when you and I are going through it, it is not easy at all to, to be outside of your own self to the point of, of having perfect clarity into your own motives and action. And it's really only with hindsight that we see, and it, it comes, I think, for everybody in their career journey, only gradually. When we were first developing this, this framework, fixer artist, builder, strategist, a number of leaders very successful people that we talked to, they would say, they would say, well, I don't know that it was so intentional. You know, my success would say, well, I understand that, but just think about your career for a moment. In the beginning, it feels a little random. I mean, unless you trained as a dentist or an electrical engineer, you know, where you just, you know, the path is fairly, is fairly seen. For a lot of us, you know, we have lots of talents and smarts, but it feels very undifferentiated in the beginning. And yet, as you go through the journey, certain things, this thing they call the still small voice, it talks to you. And, and so your first career choice can seem like, what the heck, I need a job. Have to have something to do. My family is hounding me. I cannot live at home anymore. You know, and, and so you do this thing. But then the next career choice, there's a little more of a draw. Why did you do A versus B? And then the next choice, whether it's at the same company or something else, it has more intentionality. And so this is the thing that happens to people on a career journey. And, and for successful people who are moving into more and more responsibility as leaders, what they tend to do is that as they notice the thing at which they are great, they double down. They absolutely double down. 
And by doubling down inside of that, they keep getting a little more confidence. And the biggest byproduct of that confidence is they become better collaborators. So one of the things we all know in business is you better be great at collaboration. Everyone gives that lip service. But the people who are really great at it are the leaders who say, well, on the team, if I'm going to be accretive, even if I'm nominally the person in charge, is that I have to have skills that are superior to everybody else in the team. But I also have to acknowledge the fact that others on the team, if we are going to be best in the world or best in their country or the city at what we do, is that they're going to be far better than me at what they do. And collaboration means they give me the ball when it is the thing that I am great at. And I have to give them the ball when it is the thing they are great at. And average leaders don't really do that well. And that's the reason why, to flip back to the beginning, you see the majority of leaders have these journeys that are okay, but not great, because they cannot acknowledge or actually collaborate where they're giving the ball to someone else. That's too, that causes too much insecurity for them. They're too worried about loss of status, loss of job, whatever. And so they're trying to do all of this to prove themselves. And no one's great at everything. Sure, sure, sure. What do you mean? Hey, I was thinking. So if you look at those four styles, um, I think about a year or two ago, I was engaging with a company and um, I engaged with the leadership team. It was part of an, uh, an M&A. And I noticed quite quickly that the full leadership team were clones of each other. All like-minded, same thinkers, same, same, same ideas. Like a, like a beautiful harmony. Company numbers were down. People were not satisfied. Organization was not progressing. Because it was really even, yeah, they were one. I personally don't believe in that. I believe you need to have challenges in, in between. You need to have different thinkers. If we take these four different types of um, leadership styles. What is the unique um, mix of these styles if you really want to grow your business? Let's, let's, let's say, uh, let's take an example. Company um, is not hitting their numbers, uh, starting to look at, at, at the, the going bust or maybe bust in the next six months if they don't change. What would you advise if you want to change that leadership style? How would you find that right person? You're, boy, you're hitting on something that is vital and critical, and you describe an organization that is heading, or team that's heading towards stagnation. And it could be they're just very comfortable with each other, friends, and this is, you know, good in a way, they trust each other, but they're not crushing it anymore. And, And that is something that will lead to stagnation. And in stagnation, the the energy, the leadership style that must come in if you're going to get back on a fast track excelling and out of that is artist energy. It has to be artist energy. The artist energy, it is, well, for example, it's the person on your team that is the renegade, the outsider, the discontented. They're not the most popular person. We, we quoted one example, you know, Intel, biggest semiconductor chip maker in the world, you know, arguably the greatest CEO they ever had was a guy named Andy Grove. 
Andy had a lieutenant that he described as his wild duck. He called him his wild duck. So just think about this, Intel. You're talking about the greatest engineers in the world. We're talking about people who are just, how do you cram a billion transistors onto a chip, right? And the engineering excellence there is great. Well, that's good, but when, when, you're, when that is what makes up your management team, your leadership team, boy, you can get into groupthink. And so Andy very intentionally had a guy he called his wild duck. He was the disagreeable one. He was the one that did not have the same engineering mindset. Now, in this case, this executive, he became the founder of Intel Capital, which was one of the first corporate venture funds in the world. And it needed that kind of crazy, out-of-the-box thinker that was not going to go with the rest of the team. You were not going to agree with him. You might hate him at points, but he would make these discontinuous leaps in thinking that, that was kind of like a, you know, a CPR, a jolt to the chest. And so the team that is becoming too complacent, it is lacking that kind of, of, of uh, artist energy. You're actually saying basically the disruptor, the guy who just steps in. I really like that because the, um, uh, the, 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 the complicated part of disruptors, again, you get to your organization is people are scared of them. They're scared of them. Yeah. So how do we how do we, how do we get those people in, and make sure because sometimes you 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 want to get them in. You know they have to disrupt, but you also need to give them the ability to disrupt. You also need to give them the ability to actually take people on a journey. How do you do that if you're complacent, if you're stale? Well, there has to be there has to be a premise or an attempt or an effort on a team, which is this, this understanding, which is if our team can fire on all cylinders, we're all gonna do better. And so if that's the premise we have, then the more I know the authentic you, the things at which Raheem is just, this guy is the greatest in the world. And if I can get him into that position, the whole team is gonna benefit. And the flip side is, if Raheem stands for me, that, that he comes to understand authentically these things I love to do and I'm great at, and maybe Raheem can get off of my plate the stuff that I'm just not so great at, the whole team is going to go benefit because it becomes accretive. The way we, we interviewed a number of organizational psychologists, Raheem, and because we had to know, are we crazy? You know, we have this model of of four styles, does this sound completely nuts to you? And luckily, the, all the people we interviewed were like, no, this, this seems to hold water. You should go test it out. And one of the psychologists, he said, you need to be spiky. And asked, what do you mean by that? He said, well, if you looked at a graph, a chart, and it showed all the capabilities that a particular team needs, and it could go across hundreds of dimensions, no one has them all. The key is for that team that, that you, you're going to be spiky in certain ways. They're going to show up there dramatically, and I'm not going to have those spikes. And I'm going to have spikes that should be dramatic and different. And it's the same for anyone who is even nominally the leader of that team or organization. They must be accretive. They, they, they have to have their own spikes they're contributing. We're, we're past the days 
where the definition of uh, a manager was going around and saying to everybody, how you doing today? You know, did you hit your numbers today, right? There's, there's AI and there's technology that the rote job of what was a manager, that's gone. That is gone and you will not be competing effectively if that's, if that's what's happening inside your shop. Hey, we talked about fixer. We talked about artists. We didn't talk about builder. So everybody in work is, uh, is a builder. Everyone raises their hand for builder. We get that. We mean a, a more specific definition, which is builder energy takes the young, new, nascent product, team, service, set of client relationships, and they have this manic drive to take it to scale, to take it to some form of domination. Uh, you see this, for example, when somebody launches a product, it has success, they go public, and then you'll hear that that person has left because it's scaled now and that challenge is over and they need to go back and do it again. You will see it inside companies you know, where somebody may handle a, uh, a particular country or set of relationships, it goes to scale and then they move on. Um, it's, it's not always world domination, but it could be, but it's always the market is, is, market is mantra for that person. So if any of your listeners, I'll pick uh, one city, Boston. Uh, I've been to Boston occasionally and there is a bakery there that is phenomenal. And they've set this mission, seems to me, to be dominant in the city and the suburbs there. And you can't find this bakery anywhere else in the U.S. But if you're in Boston, somewhere in that leadership team is somebody that said, we're going to own this. Don't care about New York. Don't care about London. But Boston, we own it. That is, is builder energy. Nice, nice, nice. So now we have three. Let's go to the fourth. Strategist. Strategist. Strategist is the leader at scale. Strategist is the energy that for vast or complex organizations has the ability to move. And that's a different kind of movement from the other three. So when you think of fixer artist builder, the team size there tends to be 5, 10, 50, 100, 150. But it's inside what, you know, you remember Stephen Covey, the author of Seven Habits, Highly Effective People. He had a phrase, he said, personal span of control. Personal span of control. And so the, 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 the methodology for a lot of fixers, artists, and builders tends to be based on personal relationship. And they can push that beyond belief. And that's why you will see small teams that go crazy working seven days a week because they're in the trenches with each other. Strategist can't rely on that. Strategist is inside an organization and it is a thousand people, 10,000, 50,000 people, but they have mastered something that is beyond personal span of control. So the language of these leaders of all four styles is very different. Strategist in particular, you will hear language around loyalty to the organization, around the gratitude of having been mentored, about mentoring other people, about cross-training as they move from division to division or responsibility to responsibility. You don't hear any of that from fixers, artists, and builders. 
strategist, you will hear this thinking about, you know, you have an organization of say 15,000 people. We interviewed the head of a insurance company. And he said, look, he said, the low end of the organization, we all know what's going to happen, which is to say they ain't going to be here long. He said, your highest and best performers, you don't need to worry about them. Their, their, their motivational set is so high internally that you can't turn them off. He said, you got to really concern yourself with this, this vast middle because you have competition and how are you going to move that group? How are you going to move them more than your competitors? So one of the strategist leaders we interviewed, Dr. Janine Davidson, she, was, she had been the undersecretary of the Department of Defense in the U.S. That's an organization with more than a million people. And hearing her talk about that job was talking about systems of systems. You're operating a level of nuance to move an organization in some ways that can feel so subtle, but that over time comes to have this momentum and collective effect that is extraordinary. It's a very different kind of, of leadership and energy from the other three. Nice, nice. Looking at the time, uh, because we're running a little bit out of time, and I think we can talk for uh, for three hours, three days, four weeks, and uh, a year. Um, if, if if we take these four styles um, into account, I want to have people actually start thinking about. It. So if you're listening to our show, and 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 uh, this this got you thinking about, wait a minute, what am I actually? Uh, where do I want to go? Um, what are tips and tricks or uh, ways that if you find out you're a fixer, an artist, a builder, or a strategist, what are things you could do to make yourself, I think always it's always about awareness. Huh? And the same thing with like, I love Ikigai. Ikigai for me is awareness of being me and finding out where my, my sweet spots are and my, my purpose and meaning. But I think if you look at these four styles, these are really um, rudimentary, you know, elementary to your thinking of where you will play in the future. If you look at these four, what is the main tip you could give people who are listening um, when they start thinking about where they fit in and what they can do to actually improve or, 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 or get a spike in their career using this knowledge? It's a great question. And I hope for your listeners that the first thing this is sparking is an idea for them of which of the four feels dominant. And let's be real clear, Raheem, we are not trying to pigeonhole leaders to say, oh, you are just this, you're only strategist, that's not, and nothing else. That's not true. We are each a combination of the four. And what we are saying is that successful leaders tend to have a dominant style or a dominant in the secondary. So the first thing is, is that if you get any form of insight or validation, into who, what your wiring is, embrace it. Embrace it. it. It hopefully is a point of comfort that your own particular way that you may think some days is, God, why am I wired this way? You know, you have a bad day and it's like, is, is to, to understand that your style is great for you. It's perfect for you. And so if you get to that, then the next thing is take this podcast and go send it to a friend or a coworker to say, please listen to this and tell me what style you think you are because I want to compare with you. 
Now, the other way they could do it is we have launched a three-minute leadership assessment. It's called FAB's Leadership Assessment. I know you're going to put links out for your, for your listeners. And so they can take the assessment. It's free. And uh, there's also a PDF they can get that describes in detail the four styles. And so our goal or hope is that this sparks a conversation with your team. And again, it's this idea. The more you know authentically how I'm wired, and if you want to support me, and if I can support you, we're just going to perform better. Great. I agree fully. I agree fully. Hey, we're having it at the end. So, uh, the book. Where can people get the book? Thank you. So, the book is called Right Leader, Right Time. Discover Your Leadership Style for a Winning Career and Company. And it's on, it's, it's all the usual suspects. It is on Amazon. It is on, on all of the major e-commerce uh, sites where books are sold. Cool. So guys, if you're listening, uh, I'll put some links also uh, somewhere below. Uh, if you're watching the video, if you're not watching the video, but if you're listening, there are some links you can click on them. Uh, feel free to take a look. I, I think it's really valuable for you guys uh, to, 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 to read this book. Um, I liked it, uh, although I didn't read it completely yet, but I liked it, uh, and I would rec really highly recommend you guys uh, uh, taking a look at that. Hey, Bob, it was amazing, as always. Uh, you're amazing. You're amazing. And there's going to be an in-person meeting between you and me, because I'm getting to your city, buddy. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, Bob wants to come to Barcelona, by the way, guys. So, uh, And uh, if you guys are interested in coming to Barcelona, you want to join some of our live sessions, uh, feel free just to contact me. Uh, the links are also below in this podcast uh, uh, show link in the, in the comments. Um, if you want to connect to Bob, I'll also put the link to his LinkedIn profile so you can take a look at this beautiful guy on the other side of the world, on the other side of the pond. Uh, and again, thank you. Thank you, buddy. It was amazing. Thank you, Raheem. It's a pleasure.